You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You've probably already gotten your first bug bite of the season, but itch is way more than skin deep. I thought that all it was telling us was how do we sense something outside of our body, but it's teaching us how we sense everything, not just outside of our body, not just the five senses, but a thousand senses. This week on Unexplainable, scientists have barely scratched the surface of itch. So how deep does it go? Listen to Unexplainable for new episodes every Wednesday. From CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Stay Tuned in Brief. Last week in the Southern District of New York, federal prosecutors announced charges against an Indian national, Nikhil Gupta. According to the indictment, quote, the defendant directed a plot to assassinate on U.S. soil an attorney and political activist who was a U.S. citizen of Indian origin residing in New York City, end quote. The foiled plot comes just over two months after Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau accused Indian agents of assassinating a Sikh leader in Vancouver, Canada. Both targets were North American-based leaders in the Sikh separatist movement. They were vocal in their support of the Sikh-heavy Punjab state to secede from India. We welcome back CAFE veteran John Carlin to discuss the implications of these two plots, which have the potential to upset the relationship between India and the West. John is a former federal prosecutor, he led the National Security Division at the DOJ under President Obama and served most recently as Principal Associate Deputy Attorney General in the early days of the Biden administration. Most importantly, of course, he once hosted the Cyberspace podcast here at CAFE. John Carlin, welcome back. Great to be back, Preet. So you and I both have handled all kinds of cases far-flung with national security implications, you in particular. You see this indictment and you read the facts, and you read about the plot, and even though you have vast experience here, how nutty is this case? I think we got a couple others that have similarly crazy facts, but what's unique about this case is that a ally of the United States or someone working for that ally inside the government would try to commit such a brazen assassination plot on U.S. soil with all the risks that that entails. Yeah, I mean, this is not like Putin trying to off someone in the U.K. This is qualitatively different from that. Yeah, and we've had a couple others as you lived, you know, uh, and one we worked together where Iranian officials and at the direction of the Iranian state, there was a plot to assassinate a ambassador for Saudi Arabia on U.S. soil. In Washington, D.C. when it first came in, seemed unreal. Yeah. No, I remember, I remember it very well. It's funny. I looked it up in preparation for this, and it was in 2011, which I can't believe was 12 years ago. It seems like it was yesterday. Let's talk first about some of the allegations in the indictment and what the plot was about. You have a gentleman who's charged, Nikhil Gupta, who is accused of conspiring with someone that the indictment refers to as CC1, co-conspirator one, who is described as an identified Indian government employee back and forth with an undercover and with a confidential source 
with recordings and text messages obtained by the government, talking in great detail about their interest, the Indian government's interest apparently, in assassinating this U.S. citizen. Why is it, as as an initial matter, do you think they would only name Nikhil Gupta, the defendant, and not the co-conspirator who is an Indian government employee? It depends on the state of where they're able to bring charges and what, if any, other additional steps that they uh, that they might take. So I don't think you can tell reading the indictment alone why they made the choice not to name the individual. Well, could it be because they only wanted to name an individual they could bring into custody? Because we should also point out, as the government has stated, that Gupta was apprehended in the Czech Republic while they were investigating the plot. So it's a, if you're engaging in a murder-for-hire plot from some foreign safe country, probably shouldn't travel. Is that fair? <laughs> there have been some good uh, lesson examples of no matter how long it takes, if you travel, the reach of U.S. law enforcement is long and the memory even longer. I thought it was interesting here is you can see that he was arrested in late June, but the indictment was only made public now. And to me, that reads as if they were taking additional investigative steps. Another interesting little detail, though, is it it wasn't under seal. (laughs) So while it got publicized now, I didn't see any uh, unsealing order, which means there was a murder-for-hire plot sitting publicly if someone had figured it out on on the docket while they took these additional steps. The other thing that's important to point out here uh, that relates to the gravity of the alleged plot or plots, as I mentioned in the intro, is that a couple of months ago, very controversially, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau made a severe, serious accusation about who was responsible for the assassination of a Canadian Sikh, Hardeep Singh Nijar. Do you remember at the time, I mean, I I had lots of people sort of texting and, and emailing and saying, what do you think of this? It's a pretty significant thing for the head of one state to accuse another country and the head of that other state in engaging in an assassination plot on the soil of the first state. This indictment describes a plot that is totally, completely bound up and wrapped up in the actual killing of Nijar in Canada. Now, sometimes you have these plots, in, including the one that you and I were talking about before, at the behest of the Iranians, our Bob Sierra in 2011. You never quite know how how real those plots are when they're foiled or disrupted, right, John? Here, there is a dead person in Canada. Maybe you can even point to some of the quotes in the indictment. There's a dead person in connection with this plot already. What does that tell you about how serious this was? Yeah, it's a great point, Preet. And I thought just as craft, when you think about what the prosecutors were thinking and what they put into the indictment, that they took great pains to show that this was a real attempt to commit the assassination. Because to your point, it does sound outlandish. And there's always a defense. Maybe they were lured. This wasn't uh, really that serious. It wouldn't occur. And so what they did, a couple details stuck out to me. So one was they put into the indictment that the night of the murder in, well, first that prior to the assassination, that there had been discussion between the confidential source who's working for the U.S. government and the person purporting to hire him as a as a hitman, where they said, we're doing something similar with another target. Yeah. So they previewed it. And then the night that he's murdered, they send a video clip. From, so from the Indian government employee to Gupta that shows the bloody body of this uh, assassinated uh, opposition voice. 
the Indian government employee, as you said, sends the defendant in this case a video clip showing the bloody body. And the defendant in this case, in the SDNY indictment says, quote, replied that he wished he had personally conducted the killing and asked the government employee for permission to go to the field. So these are very, very much bound up with each other. Yeah, and he references too, uh, you know, it's kind of too much to do, essentially, is the tone, because he says Najjar was also the target, and we have so many targets in reference to this plot. And the other thing they really nailed down is the money. Yeah, oh yeah. So we should talk about what the going price was for this murder for hire. What was it? Total was 150000 And then, as you've lived, so sometimes you'll have these discussions and they'll talk about a payment, but they haven't made the payment. So right. there's this question, well, would they really have done the payment? But here, in the indictment, with a photograph, they make a down payment and they photograph the cash, Yeah, which is 10%. pretty compelling. Yeah. Just more from the indictment about the connection between the assassination, the, the accomplished assassination of Nijar in Canada and the alleged plot in the United States. The, the defendant here was told after Nijar was killed, quote, not to worry because we have so many targets, as you said, we have so many targets. But the good news is this. The good news is this. Now no need to wait. And then further, and I want to get your reaction to this, Gupta, who's the defendant in the, in the SDNY case, tells the confidential source that he needs to kill the victim as soon as possible. And he also warns him. He says, quote, he will be more cautious because in Canada, his colleague is down. His colleague is down. I sent you the video. So he will be more cautious. So we should not give them the chance, any chance. And then he goes on to say to the person he thinks is going to commit the assassination, quote, if he is not alone, if there are two guys with him in the meeting or something, put everyone down, put everyone down, end quote. What do you make of that? That was truly chilling and goes to the question of what were they thinking that they would allow such a, a, an attack on U.S. soil with all the consequences that could take place between the two countries, between the two countries that are allies. And there's the target of the assassination, and then it could be just completely innocent civilians hit on U.S. soil, which would demand even a stronger response than what you've seen here. And it has the potential to sever relations and have profound impacts on geopolitics. Why would they take that risk? I think that's a good segue to, to taking a step behind the scenes where you and I have been on many occasions, and we may have slightly different views about this. I don't know. Tell us how you predict this is unfolding behind the scenes. So the Justice Department with a UC undercover and a confidential source is gaining information. So they know about this plot in June, and then Nijar is actually killed while they're investigating this plot. So they know it's deadly serious, um, literally so. At what point, generally speaking, if ever, does the President of the United States get informed of a criminal investigation and or diplomats and other officials in the Department of State. So this is an unusual and kind of interesting area for criminal justice system. So the general rule by custom, although it's not a law, is that the Justice Department and the attorney, this attorney general has been quite uh, outspoken and firm on it, as have others, that the Justice Department makes without consideration or direction from others in government makes the decision based on the facts and the law of whether or not there's a criminal charge and whether or not to bring it. So that is, that's a norm. <laughs> that's a norm. I, yes, observed, exactly. I saw that's that observed custom. in the breach on more than one occasion, John, and it, it resulted in some fighting. Yeah. So what I would add to that, though, is in national security cases, I think it is appropriate 
for, and there's a mechanism to do it through the National Security Council, where often the cases we bring, especially in this area, when they involve foreign policy or even in terrorism cases or others, you're trying to use all instruments of government power to achieve your goal. Like for here, the goal would be to deter people from trying to do assassination plots on U.S. soil. And so there is a mechanism to inform so that you can get the views of others in the national security community when you make decisions. And particularly in pre, this is one, you know, you and I have uh, worked on before about timing. You don't always know when you're sitting in the Justice Department and you're focused on prosecutions, how doing an arrest might actually cause, in the most extreme circumstances, physical safety risks. You know, we've had cases where you wanted to inform the Department of Defense so they would uh, be prepared for potential retaliatory attacks against U.S. troops or others, or it might result in a, you know severe foreign policy consequence. And so you have these discussions, particularly about timing. So it's usually not whether or not ultimately you will bring the charge. And one that I remember vividly uh, with you that's been oh, yeah. made public <laughs> by a former defense secretary, Gates, so he recounted the conversations, was the case that led to the show The Americans and where we had planned a takedown, not realizing that at that point, relations were pretty good with Russia and it wasn't Putin. It was supposedly going to be his successor. Medvedev was coming to the United States, which we didn't know. <laughs> we were not planning on. And Secretary Gates has revealed, or according to him, that an accommodation was made by the Justice Department and the FBI in terms of the arrests of those Russian spies to wait that weekend until Medvedev had cleared North American airspace. So accommodations are made sometimes in those regards. But how much agita do you think, and we're just speculating here, our State Department and diplomatic officials are feeling about these arrests and this conduct at a time when India looms very, very large, both as a counterweight to China as a counterweight to Russia in some ways, the necessity of having India be close to us is really high. What do you think those conversations were like? And I know you, you don't know, you don't have any inside information, but what's your guess? Yeah, so reading in the tea leaves here, and I thought this was interesting too, because we're talking about how in the US government, you try not to take law enforcement actions at a time that they'll cause you know, maximum harm to our foreign policy objectives. In the indictment, oh, yeah. it lays out <laughs> it's that this it's guy organizing the assassination is thinking about the same thing, and he doesn't want to so just go into the detail of it. He tells the undercover to not carry out the murder around the time that the leader of India, Modi, is coming to visit the United States for a state visit. And if you Google the timing, that was the, that was the state dinner. So it was a pretty uh, important event with President Biden and... So he uh, gets very specific, and this is where they give the date, and says, don't do it before June 11th. It has to take place after June 24th, so we don't have this impact on, on relations, which to me shows they completely didn't understand the impact that would have occurred if they had been successful in carrying out this murder. Because whether it happened on June 11th or June 25th, if it got attributed to the Indian state doing an assassination on U.S. soil, it would still have immense and I think, you know, at least short-term irreparable harm to the relationship. But to your question of what I think they're doing now is in between these two events, between the arrest and making it public, the 
indictment lays out very clearly that this is a government employee and gives details that this government employee is able to make assurances to the undercover agent that he has the ability to have a criminal case against the uh, agent in India dropped, which seems to show that he he really is a, a government employee, plus his concern about the state dinner. But there is some space, as you laid out in the beginning, between this particular person somewhere in the government and whether or not at the highest levels of the government they had awareness. And what I suspect is there's both public statements giving that space and then privately there's very firm and direct messages about the consequences were this to happen again, but they're trying to give space for India to investigate and conclude that this is unacceptable behavior. I know I'm asking you to speculate a lot about behind the scenes conversations, but I'm a little bit trying to break down the fourth wall. Is there a scenario in which the Justice Department would have been told or persuaded by the Department of State to not include an allegation that Modi approved of this assassination attempt because it's unnecessary to proving the elements against this defendant, Nikhil Gupta? And if so, how would that be received by the Justice Department? Boy, <laughs> that's a, a big hypothetical. Well, I'll say it's, again, it looks to me like the team of prosecutors actually included a lot of compelling detail, which isn't one of the elements of the offense about the person's status as a government official, including details that would make it credible, you know, not just that he claimed that he was a government official, but the state dinner detail, the dropping of the arrest detail, other details. <laughs> so why is that in there? I mean, obviously it tells the story. It gives rise to an understanding of the gravity of the situation. But otherwise, why, why would you, is there any other reason to put that in there? When you also tie it to the details about the connection to the Canadian plot, it helps show that this isn't far-fetched, but that this was a real assassination attempt. That That's the legitimate reason why, you know, a line prosecutor working with an agent would want to include that detail to have the most compelling, compelling case. To your question, I don't think it's inappropriate for the Justice Department to consider what to include, especially in a speaking indictment about additional detail that's uncharged. Um, but it would be extraordinary if they had compelling and admissible evidence and thought that they needed it for the case to drop it. And yeah. it's just here, it's just hard to speculate what, you know, where they were on that spectrum. Given what you see in the indictment and the methods used and the undercover and the confidential source, how strong do you think this case is at trial? It looks like it, a very compelling case. Yeah. Wouldn't, you, wouldn't you like to try it, Preet? I'd I would love, love to, get to in try there it. And try even, I, even I could get a conviction, I think, in this case. <laughs> the photo of the cash, the, the photo of the cash is very compelling and the, and the recordings, you know, great work by the agencies here. Are there any challenges relating to, to intelligence gathering or anything else that you can predict might be an issue in the trial? Again, speculating, but I would bet that they, you know, some of the time that was taken between this, this announcement and the arrest was shoring up through criminal process that they'd be able to admit evidence without getting tips or leads from information that was collected through intelligence sources or methods that would raise classified information protection. And one thing that's interesting here is what you're seeing, and this has been true generally with the transnational repression, as they're calling it, uh, efforts. Obviously, assassination has taken it to a whole new level. But you're seeing 
governments use cutouts where they're, and we saw this back with the Iranians with the Babsyar and in a more recent uh, Iranian plot, they're using criminals. And so they're running into law enforcement efforts where it's purely a, a law enforcement case. So instead of this being Intel v. Intel, you have the head of the, uh, and a good friend of, of you in the show, Ann Milgram, the head of the DEA involved because they ended up reaching out to DEA sources. I wonder how this will unfold, not this trial, but how whatever plot or plots remain, how they will unfold. Just reminding folks of what we talked about earlier, that the defendant here told the undercover that Nijar in Canada was number four, number three in the list, and that we have so many targets. Do you think, this is a hard, I keep asking you to speculate, so I apologize. It's an impossible task. But at this point, with the, the murder that was successful in Canada, the foiled murder plot, in the United States, do you think that everyone is still full force investigating other murder plots? And or do you think that there's been a sufficiently successful disruption of these assassination attempts? I know it's impossible to tell, but how, how, do, you, how do you think about that? I guess I'll answer it a different way, which is, I think vitally important is that these disruptions are so noisy, so public, with such consequences that it changes the calculus and we go back to a deterrence where people would think this is just nuts. You can't, you can't try to do a, an assassination of a U.S. citizen. One thing I thought, you know, if you look at all the press comments from the officials, they all focus on the fact that it's an assassination attempt on a U.S. citizen on U.S. soil. On U.S. soil. And I do think that's Yeah, if you, wanted to, if you wanted to do it in <laughs> Bolivia, you know, maybe not as bad. Yeah, although I thought it was a little overstated, and I assume this was a bad, <laughs> bad quote. This ultimately isn't isn't funny, but your replacement as U.S. Attorney in Southern of the Southern District, Damon Williams, a good guy, said, "We will not tolerate efforts to assassinate U.S. citizens on U.S. soil." Well, hopefully, we just don't tolerate efforts to assassinate U.S. citizens, regardless of where it takes place. But I think what he was trying to say, and you hear it more clearly from the other officials, is that. It, it, there is a a uh, increased level of chutzpah and an attack on the sovereignty of our state by trying to conduct these operations here. And as you pointed out in that chilling detail, it also raises the stakes that even if you as the foreign state think you're being super targeted and who you're aiming for, you could end up hitting civilians and lead to something that could even lead to armed conflict between countries. Yeah, uh, you know, you and I are not, Foreign Service folks, Department of State folks, but you know, I, I would love to pick the brain of somebody on the diplomatic side who could analyze in the future maybe what the next steps are between Biden and Modi and how the United States can both uphold the rule of law, the sanctity of its own citizens, um, but also maintain relationships. And it's a, it's a sticky wicket, I think, as they say. Right, and, and you hope that it wasn't something that was massive understatement but you hope that it wasn't countenanced at the higher highest levels and that it really was someone trying to execute their country's policy, but not doing so in a way that, that fully took into account all the risks, in which case they could take action and show that it won't happen again. But you raised the point, of, you know, if we continue to see assassinations, it's going to demand some break between relations, and it couldn't be a worse time for that type of break to occur when you consider all the other turmoil that's going on in the world right now. Well, we'll follow the case closely. 
Thank you for taking time out of your schedule. John Carlin, thanks so much. For more analysis of legal and political issues making the headlines, become a member of the Cafe Insider. Members get access to exclusive content, including the weekly podcast I host with former U.S. attorney Joyce Vance. Head to cafe.com slash insider to sign up for a trial. That's cafe.com slash insider. If you like what we do, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. Send me your questions about news, politics, and justice. Tweet them to me at Preet Bharara with the hashtag AskPreet. You can also now reach me on threads, or you can call and leave me a message at 669-247-7338. That's 669-24-PREET. Or you can send an email to letters at cafe.com. Stay Tuned is presented by CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network. The executive producer is Tamara Sepper. The technical director is David Tatashore. The senior producer is Adam Waller. The editorial producer is Noah Ozilai. And the CAFE team is Matthew Billy, David Curlander, Jake Kaplan, Nat Wiener, and Claudia Hernandez. Our music is by Andrew Dost. I'm your host, Preet Bharara. Stay tuned. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.